0: Acts chapter 19, uh, from verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly, boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were ill, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Skeva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, "'You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business.' And you see and hear how this fellow Paul was convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be dis- discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theatre together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples wouldn't let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message beginning begging him not to venture into the theatre. And now we're going to turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in the message of Christ in Christ when you heard the message of the truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory this is God's word
1: Uh, let me have my welcome. My name's uh, Matt Fuller. If we've uh, not met, would be lovely to do so uh, a little later on. So a particular welcome to you if you're um, uh, visiting or are new uh, here this evening. It'd be lovely to meet you at some point. And uh, we're not a perfect church, but there's lots, I think, which is healthy here. There's certainly a lot of very encouraging people. So uh, hopefully you may be able to join us at some point uh, and join the church family. Let me lead us in prayer. And then we'll jump into this uh, very wonderful passage together. great God and Father, we thank and praise you that you've not left us uncertain or unclear. You have revealed your plan for this world and the next to bring all things under the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we know that. Thank you that you tell us how to live. And more than that, you tell us how... Uh, We should respond to you with our thinking, with our lives, with uh, all that we are. So, Father, to return to this passage of overwhelming blessings, help us to understand and respond rightly, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Really then, Ephesians chapter 1, and we're only just going to look at the first six verses tonight, but really Ephesians chapter 1 is here to remind us, to tell us, that being a Christian is wonderful. It's just wonderful to be a Christian. Now, some here are not persuaded of that, you've never realized that, I, I know that's true. Others are fully aware of that and enjoying that at the moment. Perhaps for many of us, we sort of vaguely kind of think that we ought to feel that way, but don't actually feel that way. But really the, the, the application, the, the point why this is here is in verse 3. We're meant, if we understand this rightly this evening, we go away saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him, or or literally, there's a certain play on words, literally it's blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an outpouring of praise. It's an internal wonder that bursts out of you because you can't quite hold it in. Because you, you see him, you understand him, and you observe him and go, to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you can't quite hold it in, if you understand this rightly. Within our own temperaments, let me say that. If we get it this evening, we leave here saying, Wow. God be praised. It is not that we're meant to read this and um, go, here, we'll look like, I know what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to say praise God. I'm meant, I'm meant to do that. It's not meant to be uh, delegates. We're not meant to be delegates at a communist party gathering, say, in North Korea. And the leader gives his speech for eight hours, much like this. No. Uh, the leader gives his speech for eight hours and then sits down. And everyone goes, Whoa oh. because they know they're meant to do that. But rather here, if we get this right, it is a a smile inside of you that just bursts out vocally. God be praised for all that he is and all that he's done. Praise be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he's blessed us. Verse 3. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms. Verse 3. He's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 6. His glorious grace, he has freely given, the word is the same word as we've had before, blessed us in the one he loves. God be praised because he's blessed us. And he's blessed us, verse 3, with every spiritual blessing. All that there is in heaven, if you're a Christian, God has given to you. Every spiritual blessing. Actually, the, 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 the grammar is singular. It's a whole package. You either have it or you don't. It is not that. Here I am. I'm a Christian. Or whatever it is, I've moved to London. I'm 22 years old, and so far in my life as a Christian, I have received probably about 30% of the, of the spiritual blessings that the Lord gives me. Hopefully, if I grow a little bit more, I'll get a little bit more. Maybe by the time I'm my parents' age, I might be about 80%. He has given you every. Spiritual blessing. All that heaven can, all that heaven possesses to give you now, you have. Every spiritual blessing. You cannot look around and think, well, some people, hey, I've got more spiritual blessings than me. You cannot do that. If you're a Christian, you have every single one. He gives you the full deck, the full pack, the full allocation. Blessed be his name. Now, we're going to spend a good chunk of this term in then, uh, the book of, of uh, Ephesians, this letter that Paul wrote uh, in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's the Roman capital of Asia Minor. It's the bank of Asia Minor. It's probably the second richest city in the world after Rome. It is magnificent in its splendor. It has streetlights. Woo! Yeah, but only two other cities in the world have something like that. It's incredibly affluent. Do you want a map? Where are we? We've got a map. We may have a map. There is Ephesus uh, on the coast uh, of um, Turkey, trading port, incredibly affluent and wealthy. Very unusually, in the New Testament, this letter has no real problems, obviously. there's no heresy. Paul is not writing to correct false teachers of calm and you've got confused. Clearly there's some issue with their unity that he wants to spell out. But he's writing this letter to them about seven or eight years after he says bye bye in Acts chapter twenty. And he, he hasn't he was there in Ephesus for about two, two and a half years originally. He said goodbye, Acts chapter twenty. Seven or eight years later, he writes this letter back. He's in prison in Rome. He writes this letter back to them. And it's a very general letter. It's meant to be sent to the whole region, not Just the city. And the guts of it, or perhaps if there is a headline, or no, there is a headline, but the dominant theme you probably get in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. In the midst of this stack of blessings, He, God, has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. What is God doing? Well, it'll be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Here's the plan. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God is bringing everything under the rule of Jesus Christ. And broadly chapters 1 to 3 describe the unity that he gives. In chapter 4 to 6 he says live it out. But Christians of Ephesus, there's nothing majorly wrong. But you live in an incredibly affluent city. And, and you're, you're, you're compromising with the culture. You're becoming like them. Can I remind you that God has revealed to you what he's doing in this world which is building the kingdom of Jesus Christ, bringing everything under him. So live that out. Live that out. And the tone of the letter is, you you do realize how wonderful it is that God has told you what he's doing. He has chosen you to be a part of his plan. You do realize quite how wonderful that is. And so he starts In chapter 1 with this outburst of praise. And we'll spend a few weeks looking at chapter 1 verses 3 to 14. But tonight the emphasis is God has chosen you if you're a Christian. And he's chosen you to bless you. To give you riches. Every spiritual blessing that there is in Jesus Christ. So do enjoy that. And praise him for it. And stop living as many Christians do, as if it's a bit like we we own in our garden. Ha but Anyway, run with it. We own in our in our garden. We own a vast diamond mine, and we wander out into it sometimes, and we kick around and say, "Well, there's lots of bits of glass in my garden, and there's sort of, some of them are sort of shiny, but they're a bit annoying. These bits of glass. No, they're diamonds. You know." Someone needs to come along and say, no, you have extraordinary riches there that put the Queen's collection to shame. Every spiritual blessing. So I want to emphasize that we're chosen for blessing. Um, uh, Obviously preachers like three points, but I'm afraid this passage is just too rich. I'm going to give you five. Okay, Um, all about being chosen. We're chosen in Christ. We're chosen before the creation of the world. We're chosen to be holy. We're chosen for adoption. We're chosen to praise him. Okay, we'll go through them more slowly than that. But there's a where we're chosen in Christ. There's a when we're chosen before the creation of the world. And there's three reasons why. To be holy, for adoption, to praise him. Let's work through them. We're chosen in Christ. Christ. How is it then, how do we get to enjoy every spiritual blessing? What do you see if you look down, it is in Christ. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in our be to adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. All of the blessings of the Christian life come from being in Jesus, united to Jesus, through Jesus, belonging to Jesus. But they come through him. None of the blessings of the Christian life come to us directly. None of them come to us because of what we do, because of what we've achieved, because of who we are. All of the every come to us because of him, in him, through him. Uh, over the summer, early in the summer, uh, a friend of mine owns a, or, or has a corporate hospitality box at the Oval, and uh, he said, do you want to come for an evening in 2020? Mm, yes. Um, and uh, so uh, went along uh, with the family. And uh, I guess I could have bought tickets to the occasion, apart from my I left it too late, it was sold out. But the only way I got into the box, and it's the main one because of have sponsorship, et cetera, But the only way you get into the box is with him. On my own, I could have bought some stuff, I guess. But with him, I get into the box. With him, I get to eat, well, oh, actually, a very fine array of, canapes and, and steaks and burgers and things. So terrific. With him, I get as much to drink as I could cope with. With him, I get some Surrey and Oval merch, which is right, um, sort of thing you know, the children get very excited about. With him, I get to meet the players. So that's a bit more interesting. But they all come, these blessings, with him. Apart from him, wow, wow, oops, Nothing. With him, everything. The blessings in the spiritual life uh, in the Christian life come through being with Christ. You and I, we don't deserve to know God. We don't deserve heaven, we don't deserve to understand his place for, uh, his plan for history. We don't deserve glory of any of those things. But in him, we get the lot in him. We don't see them all now. That every spiritual blessing, even though we have them. We'll enjoy the fullness of them in eternity. But they all come in him. And the wonderful thing about that is, because they come in him, through him, we can't lose them. They're his. And he says, no, no, no Matt Fuller is, is with me. They're with me. Look, I know they've misbehaved. I know they should be thrown out. But they're with me. The blessings belong to me. I give them to them. And they last forever. That's where, in one sense, the blessings are. They're in Christ and we're united to him. When? When? Okay, so we're chosen in Christ, that's the first. We're chosen before the creation of the world. Not complicated to see it, verse four. He, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the creation of the world. Now look, I know this freaks some people out, but before God even created anything of this planet and in this planet, before the creation of the world, the living God chose a fixed number of named individuals who would become Christians. He chose. The obvious implication, we do not in that sense choose God. Before we were born, before we were conceived, before the world was made, the Lord. Chose you, if you're a Christian, to belong to Jesus Christ, receive every spiritual blessing, to be with him in glory. And how much thought did you put into your eternal destiny before you were born? Nothing. How much planning did you put into whether you trust Jesus or not before the world was made? Or, or None. Of course, he chose you. you weren 't there. You cannot become a Christian unless God has chosen you before time has begun. Let me clarify that a little bit because some people get a bit confused at that point. does that mean Does that mean we 're just sort of robots who have absolutely no choice in what we do? No, it does not mean that it is. Not, it is not that uh, a bit like God is a burglar who, who breaks into our house and at gunpoint says, you must become a Christian or or else. And I coerce you and force you. He is not that. He is, if you run with it, more like uh, uh, the, the, the benevolent benefactor who comes to our house. It's fantastic to that. You've all got houses and gardens, if you realize this. Um, <laughs> comes to our house, flat, allotment, parking space, whatever it is we live in. Um, he comes to our house and stands outside and says, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And let me explain what he's done for you. And who he is and what he's like. And we hear this and we say, well, that's wonderful. I I, I want Jesus to come in and and, and run my life and and, and run my house. I I want him to come in. And and Jesus comes in and stashes out, stashes out, stashes out, fills our house with riches, with treasure, with, with affluence. It's not that we are coerced to do something against our will. Rather, God, as he chose us, would always happen before the creation of the world, speaks the words of the gospel, and we say, well, that's wonderful. And now you're going to bless me and and pour riches into me which I, I don't deserve. Well, that's magnificent. I love that. That's what it means to be chosen before the creation of the world. God opens our eyes so we see Jesus. But we choose—if you can—you can still use that word if you desire. We choose to follow Jesus because God decided before the creation of the world that we would do. You do see it, don't you? Verse four. I don't know how you come to any other conclusion. He chose us. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Now, occasionally there'll be someone who'll say, well, I'm not a Christian. It's pretty pointless me being here this evening because unless God has chosen me, I'm not going to become a Christian. So uh, I may as well just go home and, and, and spend all my money on e-cigarettes and wander down the road and sit and watch Netflix all night long rather than come to church. And people will say things like that every now and again. It, it, which I think the, the Bible response is, just stop using excuses and become a Christian. Become a Christian. If you're here this evening, you're not a Christian. Put your faith in Jesus Christ that he's died to pay for all you've done wrong. He's given you every spiritual blessing. He will take you because of his perfect life to be with him in heaven. Trust him. And when you've done so, you know that God has chosen you before the creation of the world. But don't use anything like that as an excuse. Get on with it. Put your faith in him. We're chosen in Christ. That's... How it all happens. We're chosen before the creation of the world. That's when God chose us. And then there are three reasons why. He chose us to be holy. He chose us for adoption. He chose us to praise him. Let's take them in turn. He chose us to be holy. Verse 4. Do you see the progress we're making? (laughs) Verse 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Well, there's two things here. To be holy and blameless in his sight. Positive. Holy. Set apart. Set apart. Sort of negative way of saying the same thing, blameless, we've not done anything wrong, living rightly. So here again, God's choice of the believer before the creation of the world does not mean that here and now how we live doesn't matter. But he's chosen us for holiness, to live blamelessly. And one of the commentators tells me that in the book of Ephesians, there are 41 different imperatives. Or commands. So even though Paul can say, look, God has chosen you to become a Christian. And if God has chosen you to become a Christian, you will become a Christian. Now you are a Christian. Here are things you must do. And you are responsible for doing. You must... And we'll get to them in chapters 46 in particular. 41 different uh, commands. But the so Bible would insist on these two things. One, God is absolutely in charge of the world. And nothing happens that he doesn't want to happen. And, and he has chosen who will become Christians and you and I are morally responsible for how we live, and you have to hold both. And if you say, well, I don't understand how both of those things can be true. Well, nor do I. But the Lord knows, and I'm not saying I'm more intelligent, or brighter, or smarter, or more omniscient than he is. And it's an unwise thing to do so. He is in charge. He has chosen who will become Christians, And what we do matters. He's chosen us for holiness. And that is a real privilege. People still watch the West Wing? People still watch that? I mean, it's sort of a little, I mean, go back and watch it on Netflix. It's better than most things that are around today, apart from season five, which is bad. But, uh, the, uh, one to four and six and seven, terrific, uh, terrific TV. And you probably know the premise. is all about the president, President Bartlett, and, uh, his uh, senior staff, uh, and all the conversations they have walking at very quick speed around the, the, the West Wing. But it, Despite that, it's good. Um, it's really very good. Early on, you, you meet um, episode two, I think it is, of uh, season one. You meet uh, this little, young lad, Charlie. Uh, the new president's come in. He's hiring all these staff. And Charlie, he's just uh, 18 years old, finished school, not been to university. Charlie says, I want a job as a runner uh, in the West Wing. Um, some documents you can't just email; they're just too important and secretive. So, you know, I'll, I'll, you, to someone who takes documents from one desk and takes them to another person's office, and I, I, I want to be a runner. Anyway, the president happens to meet him uh, and uh, says, "Do you know what, Charlie? I'm going to make you my bagman," which is literally what it sounds. You carry my bag wherever I go; you go, and whatever meetings I'm in, you're in. And Charlie's a bit overwhelmed by that. Just wanted to be a runner. But you've given me that extraordinary privilege. He has, he determines who has access to the president. He determines which meetings, pragmatically or practically terms, the president actually gets to go to at some point. Everyone wants to speak to Charlie because they know he can sort of whisper to the president. And he's overwhelmed. But of course, he gives every working hour that he can. To this job, because what a privilege. I mean, what a line on your resume. Or, in fact, maybe it just doesn't get any better than that. You've worked directly, you've seen everything. What a privilege to be chosen for that role when you really don't deserve it, you've got no great credentials for it. Paul is saying to us, well, that's all very well and good. If you get to serve a president, I guess that's nice. But when you serve the one to whom all presidents bow and all worldly rulers bow down to, and he says, I've chosen you for a purpose, that's privilege. It's the first reason why he's chosen us to be holy. Second reason why he's chosen us, for adoption. So verse 5, in love, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. More, think more about this in more detail in chapter 2. But we go from being outsiders to having the full rights of God's children. Now, some here in our church family have adopted. It makes an extraordinary difference to people's lives. So I think of a, a friend of mine, Rob, who uh, at a young age, age 3, was taken from social care adopted by a family with a, another uh, another girl it utterly transformed his life I and mean, he just never really will stop daydreaming about the day that happened how he went from languishing in temporary care to being loved by a very generous Kind, Christian, happened to be affluent, family. Transformed his life, transformed where he went to school, the education he received, the university he went to. Transformed his life when these parents died and he inherited an estate worth, well over seven figures. But, of course, he would say more than anything, they taught him Christ. It's transformed his eternity. To be adopted is, well, it can utterly transform your life. Change who you are. Change the opportunities, the resources, your future. That's what's being spoken of here. God did this, we're told, end of verse 4, in love. And verse 5, in accordance with his pleasure and will. In other words, this God of ours, he loves to be generous there is no reluctance in him. He is the parent who at Christmas time buys far too many presents because he says, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait to see, uh, Billy open this one. Cause when Billy opens this one, I'm just super delighted. Oh, I've got in this one as well. And you know, the, whoever which way around it is, the, the dad has got overexcited buying presents. The mum's saying, well, you've slightly overdone it this year. Yeah. But I just, I can't wait to see how excited they are when they open these things. That's the nature of our God. He loves to do these things. And he gives gifts in accordance with his pleasure and will. Oh, it gives me pleasure to give sonship, adoption, an inheritance that they don't deserve to sinful people. I love it. And of course, here is an adoption which lasts forever. Lots of language, tangentially, in a book of Ephesians about you are rich, you inherit, you are wealthy. That sort of language comes up Loads in the book of Ephesians. Probably because Ephesus is such a wealthy city. Easy to be intimidated by the wealth of Ephesus. People would speak in... in... The marble main street, which was lit night and day by street lamps. We uh, had read Acts 19. The Temple of Artemis. I think I have got a picture. Um, just my commitment to to teaching the scriptures is such that I did feel the need to go on holiday to uh, Turkey and Ephesus in the summer for your good. And um, <laughs> uh, I will, as uh, inappropriately or not, share some of my holiday snaps w- with you. Look, here is a model of the Temple of Artemis. It is. One of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. It is twice the size of the Parthenon in Athens in size. It's about one and a half times the size of the largest football pitches you get in this country. So the Old Traffords of, of, of the world, you know, it's, it was massive, 127 pillars, extraordinary. And that's a model because do you want to see it today? That's it. In fact, there's more of it in the British Museum, as you'd expect. Um, <laughs> but there it is. Because all the wealth of Ephesus is gone. But the wealth you inherit through being adopted in Jesus Christ lasts forever forever. He chose us to be holy. That's the first reason why he chose us for adoption. That's the second reason why. And then briefly as we finish, he chose us to praise him. Verse 6. He's done all this to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Do you see that sort of nature of that giving language again? No reluctance, no resistance. As is a God who loves to give. And that phrase, we'll come back to this in a couple of weeks' time. But he's done this to the praise of his glorious grace. you see it there again in um, verse 12. We who are the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 14. Uh, he does all this plan of redemption to the praise of his glory. God, God does all this. He bestows blessings upon us so that we say, Wow. I didn't deserve that. And... You are extraordinary. Do you get some sense of that? On holiday, uh, I'm afraid I'm, I'm not one who thinks profoundly, uh, enormously. I, I, on holiday, particularly in the summer, I tend to put my brain in neutral and go... But uh, other members of my family are a little more active. My son uh, learned to windsurf, um, which was pretty impressive uh, on a summer holiday. What a, what a privilege uh, for him, being able to do that. But um, he had a teacher, a lovely teacher, a Turkish guy, a bloke called Orr. Uh, like paddle! Uh, My name is Or Like paddle! Uh, was always how he introduced himself. Uh, a, a lovely bloke named Orr, he was teaching windsurfing. And uh, my son, being somewhat blunt in his uh, questioning, said, uh, so Orr, of, of about the 20 guys who work on the beach, who, who is the best windsurfer? Uh, probably me. Oh, okay, really. Uh, who's the best, best windsurf teacher? Uh, probably me. And you think, well, you know, you're not allowed to say that, are you? Is that just a cultural thing? Um, you know, if the Brits wouldn't do that, well, there's plenty of good people around. Um, <laughs> but then yeah, I'd ask, you know, so then my son, being, again, pretty blunt and without uh, sort of subtleties, so we'll go up to the other ones and said, uh, who do you think is the best uh, windsurf instructor? Oh, probably all. Who do you think is the best windsurfer? All thinks it's him. Yeah, it's him. Uh, he's the best, he? that was observed, either. okay, well that's, some people said, a couple of days from the end of the holiday, the, the beach was pretty much shut, because the winds were too high, certainly for any sailing boats to go out at whatever it was, 25, 30 knots, but uh, the keenest of the windsurfers, they were allowed out, uh, and so off goes the keenies, and uh, most of them are sort of in trouble and falling over, uh, and then you see ore. now ore was about five foot five, okay? And um, and he had a sail. I don't know if you know anything about windsurfing. His sail was six foot three, which is your top, your max. And so he's holding it like this, because um, he's quite a small man. Uh, and the winds are going crazy. And um, uh, over a while, people on the beach and were just all lolling around, sort of falling asleep. Uh, and vaguely reading books and I was oh what have you seen that? Have you seen that? And after a while I so pretty much everyone, every s whatever hundred people on the beach, is all watching this tiny, tiny Turkish bloke or like paddle. Or um doing somersaults. Uh, doing this crazy thing, he should be going along, he'd chuck his sail down, jump over it, and then catch it again. Uh, and it's just this crazy succession of, of, of moves. Ooh, it's just like someone had drawn it with a cartoon or something. And at the end, you've got the whole beach, everyone's just put down whatever they're doing, is watching this bloke. And uh, of course, he comes in, everyone's like, Hurray! that was amazing! That was amazing! Uh, and uh, my son ran up to me, oh, you are brilliant. He said, well, I told you I was the best. <laughs> and he's very understated. And all these, everyone's pointing out, oh, man, you're amazing. Let me buy you a drink. Uh, is there milk? I'm teetotal. Um, and, uh, but he was, he was just extraordinary. And so when you see something like that, you do say, wow. Wow. That's amazing. I want to, something just bursts out of me. I don't know anything about windsurfing, but I know that that is better than anyone else here can do and looks pretty fantastic. And tonight I'll go to bed and dream that I can do something like that. This is very amazing, but he wants this because he did nothing for me. It was lovely to watch. But he didn't anything for me. My... Uh, Mother hasn't got much longer to live in this world, I don't think. Um, So we're into reminiscing at the moment. We're talking about her childhood uh, uh, over the weekend. And I've heard the it, story numerous times before, but my mum was one of five children, uh, uh, lost their father. So my grandmother brought up these five children. This is the 1940s. There is no benefit system. You don't get money. No one gives you anything. It's post-war rationing. There's not a lot. Uh, and so they depended, as a family of mum plus five kids, they depended upon one house in the street. These two spinsters, Joan and Ruth, known as Auntie Joan and Auntie Ruth, whom every week would give them stuff. They'd come out and Joan and Ruth would have had a lovely roast dinner and they'd give them the beef dripping left over from the dinner, which was nutritious and and tasty. And The the next week they'd get a bag of apples or, or, or a bag of potatoes from Joan and Ruth. That's how they lived. They'd get a bag of coal from Joan and Ruth. No benefit system. No family of wealth to bail them out. Their dependence was upon these two women. And once a year, Joan and Ruth would take them for a long weekend, four days, on holiday to Southend-on-Sea. And because mum said, we loved them. We adored Joan and Ruth. Whenever they came anywhere near our house, we'd run out and hug their legs and greet them. Because they gave us so much. I know we're getting closer now, aren't we? Ephesians 1, God has given believers every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every, everything. It's not withheld a thing. Uh, and therefore the response is not to well, that's very interesting that God chose me before the creation of the world. I, I think I get how, in one sense, I'm still a bit confused how God can choose me and yet I'm responsible and, and I need to think more about how those fit together. Well, that's okay, but that's not the right response to this passage. The right response is chapter three verse, sorry, chapter one verse three, praise him. He has poured out all these blessings upon me and upon us as a church when we're thoroughly undeserving. We are nothing. We have nothing without him of spiritual worth. Praise him. Wow. Thank you. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we want to say, bless you. We praise you. We give thanks to you, for you have given us so very, very much. You've chosen us when we were nothing. You've chosen us before we even existed. You've chosen us though we're completely undeserving. You've chosen us even though we'd rejected and walked away from you. You chose us to pour out every spiritual blessing at the cost of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now because of him, we have every blessing that heaven has to offer us. And we know them now in part, and in eternity we will know them in full. But Father, even as we understand somewhat of this, would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we say, bless you. We praise you. Thank you. We have all these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.